0: telling us the story of what happened to the Israelites uh, after uh, their first first military campaign in Palestine. Uh, In this particular question, it is Israel, the next generation. Hands up any Star Trek fans? Thank you. Uh, That was four. Um, uh, So it's not uh, Star Trek, the next generation. It is Israel, the next generation. Uh, The Star Trek, the next generation was set a hundred years into the future from the first series Uh, Jean-Luc Picard uh, played by our own Patrick Stewart was going where no one had gone before in that particular case Uh, all great stuff, sometimes played for laughs uh, but very much in the mould of the original uh, still being on the edge of exploration in the service of the federation Israel the next generation not so much, no, not really at all. Uh, they did not have the same attitude as the previous generation. And there were some disastrous consequences as we're going to see. Before we dive in though, let me just uh, take a moment to remind ourselves about the, the series. Uh, just do a little uh, review about what we're going to be thinking about in, in Judges as we, as we go through. You might remember from last week we're going to be talking a lot about leadership. Uh, the book in many respects is centered around a group of people who were selected by God, given the Holy Spirit in order to leave Israel through some difficult times. These men and women were called judges. You might also remember we talked a little bit about a, a downward spiral. I will just use the little pointer to point to our downward spiral logo. Um, There, uh, just to give the idea of Israel, yes, going through a a cycle. Um, First of all, they disobey God. Israel is then attacked and subdued by its enemies. Israel cries out to God to save them. God raises up a leader, who who in, in this book is called the judge. The enemy is defeated and Israel follows God while that judge lives. But each time they go around that cycle the situation seems to get worse. The enemies are stronger. The distress of Israel is greater. The judge themselves is more imperfect in in one way. We're also going to see and hear a lot about uh, Israel's disobedience through worshipping idols. So there's a lot of stuff in here about idols maybe Israel was still acknowledging God as the God of the universe uh, and the God who had saved them and was in charge of big things but then turning to other gods when, in, you know, when you want a good harvest or you're struggling to become pregnant or your friend becomes ill or something like that then uh, they hadn't perhaps turned their back entirely on God but they were turning to other gods uh, in the place of the Lord but even in that, that downward spiral also God is a faithful God because in each, one of the, in each one of those spirals each one of those circles going down even though fa- Israel has rejected God God is still faithful he still loves them and he still saves them through, through these judges from these people and we also acknowledge that we're going to have to confront a few difficult, tricky little issues uh, as we go through the passages, and we talked about some of those, some of those last week. Well, enough overview. Let's dive into today's ch- text. And in one way, this passage is a, a bit of a repeat of those first, that first chapter of Judges. It's the same time uh, chronologically, but from a different viewpoint. Again, it starts when Joshua dies. Joshua's been the leader of Israel after Moses, but it's from a a different angle. Remember, uh, when we read the Bible, it isn't always set out chronologically. It's not always set out, uh, sometimes there are different viewpoints at different times. In this case, it's the time straight after the death of, of Joshua. But the focus is different. The focus is different in a subtle way. So this is... Uh, last week we were talking about the conquest of Canaan and, and how uh, that was all undermined by Israel's disobedience. This week this is more uh, an introduction to the, to the judges. Introduction to this period of time when the judges are going to save them. Uh, why does that happen? Why do, why do we see sometimes in the Bible the same thing from different angles? Why do the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John sometimes see present things at different angles. Well, uh, if you were to uh, go away right now and to write down your recollection of when Miss Heather was standing up here talking to Rich, each one of us would write that down a bit differently. Each one of us would have taken away different things that she said, depending on whether we were writing it for someone else who was here or someone else who had not seen Miss Heather or someone else who was in perhaps uh, Miss Heather's birthplace of Canada, you might emphasise that point. When you write down those different things, you'll capture it different ways. So when we see in the Bible the same thing from different angles, it doesn't mean it's wrong, it just means that different people recording things differently. Uh, Remember, if you uh, in the case of police prosecutions, if all the witnesses turn up and say exactly the same thing, the first thing the police do is arrest them all. Because they've obviously rigged it. Yeah, we all, would all remember things in a different way. Um, uh, and also, uh, when, we, when we look into Judges, it, it refers there to the Judges, it's quite natural that this book is going to be divided up by the Judges. Let me just zip up their names for you. There will be a test at the end, so do just uh, take a moment to memorise those, please. Uh, the, uh, the ones on the, your left are the major judges uh, those are the ones who we're going to talk about and hear about quite a lot the ones on the right don't get too much of a mention uh, but they are, they are in there they get a few, a few verses uh, uh, again although that's the order in which they appear in the book it's not always clear that that is, is chronological um, you're familiar with probably names like Samson and Gideon uh, some of the other names you may never have even heard before. I don't know. There's also one uh, one name up there, one anti judge, so to speak, not anti uh, a u n t y. That's anti a uh, n t i. Who was uh, uh, that? Has a very DC Comics feel about it, doesn't it? Do help me out there? Is that, does that anti judge? Does that sound a bit like you know, Judge Anti Judge? Uh, bit, or maybe a bit Star Wars. You know, that's Abimelech, the son of Gideon. So we'll hear a bit about him. Uh, you yeah. Abimelech, I am your father, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so we'll hear a bit about him as well as the other judges as well. That was a Star Wars reference. By the way, anybody who doesn't know Star Wars, sorry. Um, so, Joshua, verse 8, described as a servant of the Lord. What a guy. Is there any higher praise? I don't know how you want to be remembered in your obituary. Joshua here is described as being a servant of the Lord, and I don't think there's anything any better way to be remembered than me described in that way. In Matthew twenty-five, twenty-one, the third verse, the third servant is greeted with the words, "Well done, good and faithful servant." I don't know by you, but those would be very good words. I think that I would want to hear from my saviour. But that could not be said of the next generation. Verse 10. Verse 10 there, look with me there. Verse 10. They neither knew the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. The next generation did not know God. No, there. you know, I can't believe that Joshua's generation were not talking about what God had done for them. Uh, even all the time. You know, when you've, when you've seen the walls of a city fall down because you've walked round it seven times and blown some trumpets uh, as an example you're going to talk, yeah, talk about that you're going to talk about that you're going to mention that to the kids and to the to the grandkids you're going to tell them about God you know he's done this stuff it's, it's going to be taught to them so I don't think this means uh, no in the sense of uh, You know, they didn't know about it in their mind kind of way. You know, they didn't know it academically, so to speak. Um, This is the, it has not found its way from my head to my heart kind of way, that they did not know the Lord. Uh, You may know people like this. You may may have friends, you may have family members like this. People who uh, know about the Bible, people who've read the Bible perhaps, they may, they may know passages from the Bible. They may know it better than you. And yet they do not have faith. They do not have faith in Jesus. They do not, have, they do not know God in that way. Uh, and in that case, and in the case of Israel here, that leaves a vacuum in people's lives. That leaves uh, a God-shaped space in their hearts to be filled. And something will fill it. Something will move into it. And so we can see that here in verses 11 to 13. We see that Israel uh, did evil. That they served other gods, particularly talks about Baal and Ashtoreth. Maybe others as well. And they forsook the Lord their God. And so God gets very angry, angry. But you would, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, you know, you are a sovereign God who has chosen a people and saved them. You've made them your own. You have, you have identified yourself with them. You've, uh, you've saved them from slavery in Egypt. You have taken them through the desert for 40 years uh, when they deserved none of it. And they've thrown that back in your teeth. They... they They know that, and yet they want to follow other little gods made out of wood, made by themselves. And so he's angry, and and, uh, an angry God, our angry God, is very, very bad news. Because he is not a God who sits back, he's not a God who sits back and does nothing. And it may sometimes seem like that, but he does not. And in this case, he's going to do a couple of particular things. Look there in verse 14, he sends raiders, people to come and raid Israel to steal their flocks, to steal steal their cattle. Uh, And he also sends the Israelites into slavery, and they experience defeat at the hands of their enemies. And they were in, it says, their great distress and I, I don't know how much great i don't know what you think by the phrase great distress i don't think this means they were a little bit worried or they were slightly irritated uh, or they they felt that they twanged an eyelash or something you know they were in great distress uh, and because god is faithful and compassionate he raises up people to save them even though the Israelites do not deserve it. But then, even in spite of that, we see that even though God has raised up people to save them, the Israelites still didn't listen to them. And it says they prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. That's a strange way of saying it, isn't it? That's a strange way. uh, That implies a marriage relationship, doesn't it? Um, Is God really that jealous? This is how Tim Keller explores that. This is a quote from from Tim Keller. He says this, he says, God sees all sin, all idolatry as adultery. He does not merely want us to know him and obey him, as citizens obey a king, or merely to follow him as a sheep follows a shepherd. He wants us to know him and love him, as a wife loves a husband. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament God calls himself our bridegroom. But just as each each judge dies they go around again. They move further away from trusting God. The oppression becomes worse. The judges themselves become more flawed and Israel sinks deep and deeper down the plug hole. Verse 19 They refuse to give up their stubborn ways. So God is really angry, as we saw last week. And he said he would do exactly what he was going to do. He told Joshua what he would do if Israel were faithless. He's going to leave Israel living alongside the other nations and he's going to use the other nations. Uh, He's going to use the other nations to test faithfulness of future generations good luck with that that is a Cayman expression I don't know if that's also a UK expression but, but when, you, when you are you're committing to do something and you know it's pretty much a waste of time, people will say to you good luck with that then good luck with that and also God left behind the nations to toughen them up militarily see that in chapter 3 verse 2 do you notice how economically, economical Economical. God is there, even when He's passing sentence on Israel, when He's is giving them their judgment. He's still doing things for their benefit, for their good. He's not just He's not just slapping them down and giving them a kick or whatever. Even though He's punishing them, He's not doing it in any way vindictively. Although He would be entitled to punish them very harshly, He's still got an eye to their spiritual health. He's trying to build them up. He's trying to give them tests for them to, to pass and then in, in chapter 3 at the beginning there the first couple of verses uh, the writers list out the, the nations that are going to still be giving the Israelites problem the Philistines, the Canaanites the Sidonians, the Hivites the Jebusites, the Perizzites And sure enough, they did. Look there with me in chapter 3, verse 6. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and they served their gods. Not the God who saved them from Israel, not the god of their fathers, but the gods of the nations around them. Does this all all sound like old stuff about a crowd of dead folks to you? I mean, does this this sound like, you know, a load of ancient history, which is... I want to try and persuade you otherwise. I want to try and persuade you that what you're reading here has got relevance for you today, here in 21st century Rotherham. Uh, First of all, there's this idea of us... of of Israel living with idols. Remember when we're talking about an idol, it's something that uh, perhaps we worship or love in the place of God, our Father. Uh, It could be our our work. It could be our family. It could be money. It could be our own cleverness. It could be our body. It could be success. It could be any number of things. Uh, sometimes it's obvious to ourselves, if, if we're being honest that we are dedicated to something that is actually very unhealthy for us uh, sometimes it can be very subtle sometimes it can be something that uh, to the world and to ourselves can actually masquerade as a good thing uh, perhaps you serve a, a charitable organisation charitable organisations are, are good things But not if that is at the expense of our family. Not if that is at the expense of taking time to pray, to read the Bible, and generally make sure our relationship with God is healthy. So it can be a good thing, masquerading, uh, a bad thing, masquerading as a good thing. One writer suggests that we look at all areas of our lives and ask ourselves these two questions. I'll put them up in a minute. Question one. Am I willing to do whatever God says in this area? So whatever area of your life you're, you're thinking about. Am I willing to do whatever God... I'll put them up. Am I willing to do whatever God says in this area? Chapter 2, verse 19 there says, like uh, Israel wouldn't give up their stubborn ways are you prepared to give up whatever those those idols may be in your life or the other question there, am I willing to accept whatever God sends in this area of my life am I prepared to accept the things that are going to come into my life so whatever God says whatever God sends are we prepared to, to accept those things we've said before another way you might want to explore uh, whether there are idols in your life um, Ask yourself this question. Uh, I would be really happy if only I could... Complete. Fill in the blank. I would be really happy. I would be ecstatic. My life would be fulfilled if only... Fill in the blanks. I would be really happy if only I could win the lottery. I would be really happy if I could only find the right person to marry. I would be really happy if I could only get that job. I would be really happy if I could only get that, that promotion. I would be really happy if only I could get noticed by everyone. I would be really happy if everyone would stop noticing me. Uh, you know it is it is such a joy to spend time with Christian brothers and sisters uh, if you're a christian here i don 't know whether you'd agree with that. I hope you would uh, just had uh, even in all the struggles this week, so much appreciated the time with Annette and and Heather. Uh, the subject of idols came up, and just to be clear here, yeah you know, I was not picking this declaration. I was not picking their brains about this sermon, okay I was not sidling up to them and saying. What should I say? Or anything like that. You know, the subject came up genuinely. Just want to be clear about that. Okay? And so the subject came up, and um, Miss Heather, very wisely, as always, was pointing out that we often look to an idol to make us happy. You know, we often look to an idol for, for happiness. And we expect it to serve us in some way. We expect the idols to serve us in some way. And yet, very quickly, we end up serving the idol. Very quickly, it turns on its head. We're expecting it to be making us happy. We're expecting it to be serving us in some way. And before we know where we are, we are enslaved to it. We are serving it in some way. So what do we do about them? If, if we do find that we, you know, and, and certainly uh, I have idols in my life, I know. Um, it, it, what are we going to do about it? It's hard to kill an idol. By their, by their nature, um, we said last week, the heart is an idol factory. We make idols naturally. And once we've made one, it, we come to rely on it very quickly, perhaps emotionally on one level, perhaps spiritually on another. How, how do we kill it? How can we kill it? Well one way is to replace it with something that is stronger, that is better something that is more satisfying and that is God. We can kill idols by replacing them with God. John Piper said God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. When we are satisfied in God when, we are, when he is our all in all, when we are complete in him, it will become much easier to kill our idols. Uh, but, you know, hold on, back to the passage. Israel did that in one sense. When the judges uh, brought Israel back to God, like they did, put their arms around them, come on, buddy, come back to God. Um, The Holy Spirit was on the judges and and that was great and yet Israel, it didn't stick. It didn't stick with Israel. And uh, because at this point the Holy Spirit was not on everyone who believed. It was only on certain people. That only happened after the resurrection of Jesus. Um, And it's it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to live this kind of life the kind of life God wants us to lead uh, to, to lead by trusting in Jesus and following him we can turn away from our old life and we can change but it's the Holy Spirit who can help us to change on our own my experience anyway is that my victory over my old ways is very temporary, it's only when I put my trust in Jesus and say come on Use your Holy Spirit, will you please help me that I've been able to change. Nothing else in my experiences has worked in that way. Uh, but secondly, uh, the thing I think that is relevant to us is that Israel pretty quickly lose their connection to God. They turn to the idols quickly, abandoning their faith. Despite everything God's done for them. Despite his, his faithfulness they are still a a fallen people and I think we see this not only here we see this throughout the Bible we see this in the times after the Bible that that there is a a pattern repeated over the centuries one generation will trust the gospel one generation is saved they they get hold of it they grasp it They, they turn their life towards Jesus they turn towards God this great revival they testify to the great things God has done for them and they teach the next generation. They teach the next generation diligently. However, the next generation grows up with those truths. And they maybe, they maybe take them for granted. Now this is, this is a struggle, I think, for people who grow up in a, a Christian family. They have always had discussions of God around them. They've always heard about God. And it can be easy when those truths are handed to you on a plate to maybe assume the gospel. They assume what the good news about Jesus is. They don't, they don't repeat it. They assume everyone around them knows what is happening. They assume everyone around them knows the Bible. That it is the norm. Or even more scarily that it doesn't have to be fought You don't have to fight for the gospel. And then what they find then is their next generation loses it. Perhaps even though they're taught it, there's no sense of its value, there's no sense of its preciousness, the next generation treats it with indifference and loses the gospel. I I don't know if you would agree with that. I think that is the kind of pattern you have here. I think that is the pattern you see uh, in our own country. Uh, over the past sort of uh, few decades, I think that is gener- what you see in a number of other places. How can we avoid it? What can we do? Here's what we can do, and Miss Heather uh, told us what we do explicitly preach the gospel. As she did for us, remind each other of the gospel, remind ourselves of the gospel, think about it in different ways. Uh, one person described the, the gospel as being a precious jewel. You know, imagine a big jewel diamond, lots of surfaces cut onto the diamond they're saying hold, the, the gospel is a diamond hold it up to the light and turn it turn it and each face is a different part of the gospel but turn it, just remind ourselves of it never assume that people know it, even people who have been in church for many years who maybe claim to be a Christian if someone asked you what is the good news about Jesus what is the gospel or, or what do Christians believe even Could you tell them? Practice telling them. Practice telling them in your own words, in your own way. Whether you speak with a Canadian accent, or your Yorkshire accent, or a Caymanian accent, or an Iranian accent, or a Ugandan accent, whatever accent you speak with, practice. Tell them in your own words, in your own way. And when you're with other Christians, remind each other of these Truths Encourage each other. It is not boring or or repetitive. It's never boring to talk about the most precious and the most exciting thing in the universe. You know over this week we've had a lot of text messages. We've had a lot of of emails uh, when we were talking about Meg and what was happening in her. And they were great encouragement. Many of those emails and texts said things like, don't worry God is in charge. Or, don't worry, God has a plan for this situation. You know, God is a healing God. Uh, now, you know, and, and the other aspects, you know, you know, uh, Jesus is your saviour, put your trust in him. Uh, put your trust in our Father, etc. Et Expressed in lots of different ways. Um, God has created Meg, he knows what's happening. Now, now we knew those things, we know, we know those things in our head. It's not that those people who were sending us texts and emails thought we had forgotten. But they know that by repeating them to us, that builds us up, that encourages us, that reminds us of the truth. Uh, It it helps us plant it deeper and deeper inside us. Um, Those people who send those emails and those texts, they, they know that we know that yet They realise the importance of saying it again and again and again and reminding us of it so that we can lean into it so we can feel it more. They do not think we've forgotten. Uh, They don't don't think that it is a new revelation but by stating the truth of the Gospel that God is in control, can be totally trusted they remind us, they assure us, they encourage us if they didn't do that kind of thing if they didn't do that kind of thing for the brothers and the sisters then we might assume the gospel. We might assume it and then the danger will become that the next generation from us here in Rotherham or in Grand Cayman might lose the gospel. That is why often explicitly we will repeat the good news about Jesus on a Sunday here or at Forge or at a Goko, We never want to assume the gospel, we never want to stop talking about this thing, this most precious thing, most important thing in our lives. Thirdly though, notice that the Israelites married non-Israelites. What's the deal there? The deal is that, that regardless of their very best intentions, regardless of, of wanting to do things in the best way that was not a good idea Israelites were told to marry only other Israelites Christians are told to marry only Christians, Second Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 let me be very clear let me be very 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 clear I am not talking about people who come to Christ when they are already married I'm talking about single people interested in getting married let me say that again I'm not talking about people who come to Christ who are already married. I'm talking about single people interested in getting married. And again, also to be clear before we go on, there's absolutely nothing wrong with staying single. Sometimes in churches there can be a lot of pressure, I think, particularly on young people to get married. Okay? There is nothing the matter with staying single as long as that is single and celibate. But why is it a bad idea to marry non-Christians, if you are a Christian? Why is, was it a bad idea for Israelites to marry people who were not Israelites? Well, I'm going to try and give you a demonstration. Okay, For this demonstration, I would like my lovely wife to join me here at the front. Don't panic at this point. I know we're talking about marriage, but you know it's not anything unseemly. So I'd like my dear wife to remember that most accidents happen around the home so we're just going to watch out we we should be okay because we're in a church so so first of all what we're going to to try and and show is is fundamentally what, what is going on here so first of all I'm going to stand on this chair and I'm going to try and lift Denise off the ground bear with me It was. Um, This has nothing to do with uh, my wife, by the way, and uh, her current uh, figure or anything like that. This is due to the fact that if anyone tries to do that, that is pretty impossible. Okay? Now, let's try it the other way. Denise will very gently try and pull me off the chair. Thank you, babe. I hope you get the point. This is why it is not a good idea for Christians to marry non-Christians. This is why it was not a good idea for Israelites to marry non-Israelites. Our spouses influence fundamentally our lives. We want that to be in a way that builds up our faith and that doesn't, in fact, pull us off our chairs. Um, but also, do you notice there in that passage how the issue of faithfulness to God and married relationships does seem to be linked together. Uh, there in, in verse 17, yet they would not listen to their judges but prostitute themselves to other gods and worship them. I want to suggest to you that that is because our marriages, the marriages in a church, are meant to represent the relationship between Jesus and the church. The church is sometimes called the Bride of Christ. This is no coincidence. If you are a Christian and you are here today, then Christ has called you to be his bride. He has literally died in order to secure you as his bride. He knows that we are imperfect and we can't love him as we should and yet because of his generous and his compassionate love for us he's died to make us his bride to have that kind of relationship with us. God has loved us more than our spouses ever will and can because his love is perfect. And so when we turn away from him It is like committing adultery in one sense. No wonder he feels angry. Let us instead turn back to him, to his fresh forgiveness that is new every morning, seeking a good and a right relationship with God. This is no coincidence that he uses this picture. This picture very much tells us how God sees our rebellion and our sin against him. But you may be here and you may not be a Christian. I hope that you are getting a sense, uh, like the rest of us, of the, of the relevance of this passage to you. Uh, I hope you can see from this, this kind of analogy, this, this word picture that the Bible gives us of, of uh, God as being uh, the bridegroom to us as the bride. I hope you can get a sense from that of the close and intimate relationship that God wants to have with you. You may be missing out on this in a way that you had not realised. That this Jesus is a bridegroom who is above all other bridegrooms, who wants to have a relationship with you, that wants to take you and love you and care for you like a bridegroom does for his bride. Do you realise that you've been proposed to? Do you realise that you've been proposed to by the most eligible bachelor in the world who is chasing you and, and wants you and you are doing what? Chasing some of the idols. Something else. Something else that will never satisfy you in the way that Jesus will satisfy you. Please, I beg you, accept his proposal of marriage. Trust Jesus and follow him. Like any marriage, it will never be easy, but it is so, so worth it. Because he will not wait forever on you. He will not wait forever. In one way, I suppose that marrying a Christian is another way in which we can fight idols in our life if marriage is a if marriage between two Christians is one that is centred on Christ and not on each other then by definition that will help to fight idols so appreciate what Miss Heather said about how um, even though you grow up in a Christian family that gives you no guarantee that you are a Christian or will become one there are no grandchildren of God. There are only children of God. We do not inherit it through someone else. Um, Because of that, we always have to fight for it. We always have to fight for the Gospel. We can never assume it. At all times we have to encourage each other and build each other up. As Christians we have to help each other to fight our idols. To point out our idols, to help each other then kill our idols. Because as we're going to see over the next weeks and months, Israel never really nails it and never really puts their idols to death. Let's not find ourselves in the same situation.